Our second reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 1, uh, verse 27 through Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. Hear the word of God. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for Him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united to Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit, of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. And do not look to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Father God, your word is always true. It's true this day. And we pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, which inspired those words, that we might have our minds illuminated and we might hear uh, your voice this day. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So today is Palm Sunday, the beginning of Holy Week, but everything, including our calendars, has been upended by this present plague. Our opening hymn, All Glory, Laud and Honor, is a classic Palm Sunday hymn, one of my favorites. And immediately following the sermon, Brother Josh Bruce will sing The Holy City, another Palm Sunday favorite, one suggested to me last week by Norma Tither. But other than those two musical offerings, this service of worship today will not be a typical Palm Sunday service. And that's okay. It's okay for two reasons. The first reason is that while the church calendar takes its highlights from the life of Jesus, his birth at Christmas time, his death and resurrection during Holy Week, the reality is that we as Christians live in a perpetual Easter. Every single day for us is a day of resurrection. We are not waiting for Christ to die and to be raised so that we might be saved from our sin. That death and that resurrection is an accomplished fact. And the early church marked the perpetual Easter by moving their day of public worship to the first day of the week, to Sunday. The early church moved it from the last day of the week, from Saturday to Sunday, because Sunday was the day that Jesus was raised from the dead. And so for us, every Sunday is Easter. Every time we gather as the body of Christ, we gather as a resurrection community, as a people who've been raised from the dead, from the dead of death of our sin and from the death of the trespasses that we've been living in to a new life in Christ. 
and our glorious hope still waits for us out in the future. We are waiting patiently for this hope for the day when Christ returns and the dead in Christ are going to be resurrected and they're going to be given glorified bodies when those who are still alive at that time will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye. That fundamental Christian hope reminds us that there is still work left to be done out there in the future. Oh, and let me remind you, by the way, that this word hope in Scripture, this word hope is not used for things that are uncertain, like I hope to win the lottery. The word hope in Scripture is always used for things that are 100% certain, but that we still have to wait for. Our glorified bodies are coming. That's our hope. It is our future. And those glorified bodies will be ours one day soon. As certainly as Jesus was raised from death to glory, so those who are in Christ will be raised from death to glory. And so, brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, let me greet you by saying Happy Easter, even though it's Palm Sunday, according to our traditional church calendar, because for us, every day is Easter. A second reason why it's okay for us to have a non-palmy Palm Sunday is that this present plague, this present affliction, is a God-given and providential interruption in our normal lives, an interruption that has been brought to us by our Heavenly Father who loves us and has promised that all things in this life are working together for our good. And to ignore this providential season, to pretend that everything is just the way it always was, would be, it seems to me, impious. It would be, it seems to me, a sign of spiritual deafness. Sometimes, God upsets even our accustomed religious celebrations. I mean, what could be weirder than meeting this way for church? Sometimes God upsets our accustomed religious celebrations because God wants to get our attention. The prophet Amos, speaking in a time of great affliction in Israel, brought this word from Almighty God. God said, I hate, I despise your religious festivals. Your assemblies are a stench to me. Even though you bring me burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. Though you bring choice fellowship offerings, I have no regard for them. Away with the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the music of your harps. Instead, let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never-failing stream. There is a time for worshiping God in our ordinary ways according to the time-honored calendar of the church, but that time is not now. God is trying to get our attention. He has cleared our calendars. He has cut us off from the endless distractions and diversions of worldly living and even of our customary religious practice. God wants our undivided attention. So let's listen to God. And let's allow His Word to percolate and penetrate into our hearts during this special time. And I hope you do see that this is a special time. I know that this has been a very hard time for some of us. Some of us have already lost loved ones to the coronavirus. For others, 
The virus has been disruptive but not deadly. Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have had our salaries cut. Some of us, uh, all of us have lost wealth. I know there's a subset of us who are having the time of our lives, those of us who are introverts during this paradise of a shutdown. But however you've been personally affected thus far, I pray that all of us would receive this time of the shutdown as a special time, as a providential time. I hope that we will remember it for years to come as a gift from God who created time and yet stands outside of time. Back in the 1980s, I went to a little hippie college in Vermont, a place where classes were often conducted in an apple orchard and the professors and the president of the college were addressed by their first names. It was rather non-traditional, but one tradition they did have was called the President's Holiday. It wasn't on any calendar, but on a day of his choosing without apparent rhyme or reason, the president of the school would declare a holiday, and all classes were canceled, and all work stopped, and we loved it. This was a school where students and faculty took their work very seriously, but for one day, and you never knew when it would come, a break in the action was called from on high, and no one complained, and we all celebrated. Now, I know the break Almighty God has called during this present crisis is a lot more than just one day. But our spiritual lives, our relationship with Almighty God is far more important than anything that transpires on a college campus. And so I hope that many of us will be able to embrace this present time, to receive it with joy from the hands of God. I know the world is going crazy, but they've always been crazy. I hope that many of us will be able to embrace this present time with joy and tune our ears to what God might be saying to us individually and corporately. In the time of Amos, God wanted to get the attention of a nation that was oppressing the poor and the helpless. God wanted to get the attention of His people whose loyalties were divided. Oh, sure, they honored God with their lips. But their hearts were consumed with a lust for riches and leisure. Now, unlike television talking heads and internet pundits, I am not a prophet. And so I don't know what God's special meaning is for us in this present crisis. That message may become clearer over time. But rather than looking for a special revelation from God, some special message about this particular situation, and it does seem that there are some people who are always looking for a special revelation, as a church, we know that we have a sufficient revelation in the Word of God. If we have mastered the basics of the Bible, there is no need for a fancy special revelation that goes beyond what the Bible teaches, even in special times like these. One of the lessons that I learned from playing high school football was that when you face a novel situation or a difficult opponent, the trick isn't to invent a bunch of special new plays. Instead, the way to win is to focus on the basics of the game. For us as Christians, the basics have all been given to us clear as day in the pages of Scripture. And so long as this present season of trial persists, and I do pray that it 
passes quickly, as long as this present season of trial persists, I want our thoughts and our worship to be focused on the basics of Scripture. So what are some of the basics? Well, just for starters, let me suggest ten basic truths that we find in the Bible, things that are true at all times and in all places. Number one, there is a God. There is a God. And He is all-powerful. He's infinitely wise. He's perfectly holy. He's a God who loves His people. He's slow to anger. He is abounding in steadfast love. There is a God. Number two, this universe that we live in was made by this perfect God. And everything in this universe is under God's control. Not even a hair on our head can be lost without God's knowledge and will. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples just before he sent them out on a little preaching tour in the surrounding villages. Jesus said, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but not the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both the body and the soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs on your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You're worth more than many sparrows. That's Matthew 10, verses 28 through 31. And number three, we humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. We humans are made in God's own image. God knew us as He knit us together in our mother's wombs. God personally breathed a distinct, individual, unreplaceable human soul into each human person. And let's be clear about this. When we're talking about the human soul, we're not talking about a piece of protoplasm. We're not talking about a string of DNA. We're not talking about anything that's the result of chemical or biological evolution. The human soul is a divine creation. It is the very image of God Himself. Now, if I embrace those three basic truths that there is a God, that that God created this beautiful universe, and that God has made us as the pinnacle of His universe. In times of trouble, I know what a special place I have relative to Almighty God, to all-powerful God. The fourth truth that Scripture teaches us, maybe we don't like to hear so much, Namely, that we humans, every one of us, have abused the gifts and the freedom that God gave us. And that as a result, we have insulted the dignity of God and we have injured ourselves and those who are around us. Our sin has turned us from God and ruptured our relationship with God. It's a hard truth, but it's a truth that not only Scripture reveals, it's a truth that our eyes show us every day as we look around us. The follow-on truth that Scripture teaches us is that God loves us despite our sin. That God wants to restore a relationship with us. That God loves us so much that He sent His eternal Son into creation to be humiliated and to die on a cross as an atonement, as a judicial payment for our sins. A sixth truth that Scripture teaches us is that we can be restored to perfect fellowship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. 
A lot of people want to restore their fellowship with God by their own performance, by their goodness, by their righteousness, by their philosophies, by their theories. Those are all hopeless. Rather, we can be restored to perfect fellowship with God by having faith in Christ alone. A seventh truth that Scripture teaches us. As sinners who have repented and placed our whole trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we are given new hearts and new lives. Fundamental truth number eight. As redeemed sinners, as born-again saints, we are indwelt by God's Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Spirit to live in a way that God designed us to live. To live lives that bring honor to God and bless the world around us. Truth number nine, as spirit-powered Christians in this life, we will bear the fruit of joy and peace and forbearance and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. And then truth number ten, we have a blessed hope. Paul writes it this way in his letter to Titus. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions and to live uh, self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope. Well, what's the blessed hope? The appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus who lived with us, Jesus who died for us, his body was raised from the dead. He has a glorified body. That glorified body ascended into heaven. And the day will come when Christ returns in his power and in his glory, in his resurrected, glorified body. He'll return to earth, and in that moment we too will receive a glorified body, a Christ-like body. Those who have died in Christ will be raised from the dead. Their souls will be reunited to the resurrected, glorified, Christ-like body. Those who are still alive at that time when Christ returns will be transformed in the twinkling of an eye into a Christ-like body. And then this present age, with its troubles and its pandemics, will be over. And we'll spend eternity in the presence of God. Ten basic truths of the Bible. And all of it by the grace of God. All of it which places our present trouble in perspective and gives us an abiding hope. Oh, let me remind you of three overarching truths that we find in Romans chapter 8, the very familiar passage to all of us. Listen to these three verses. It's the Apostle Paul talking to the church at Rome. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and have been called according to His purposes. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? These are basics of the Christian faith. They're revealed to us in the pages of the Scriptures. If we keep our eyes on these basics, it's a wonderful life that we'll have. Contentment, peace in the midst of the ups and downs of life. Exaltation and glory. 
for all eternity when we're finally clothed in our deathless bodies. Perfect friendship with God in this life and in the eternal life that's to come. Those are the basics of the gospel. Now, there was a different sermon that I had intended to preach this morning, a sermon based on our reading from Philippians. So before I close, let me at least tip my hat to that scripture passage. Paul begins our reading by saying, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. One reason I don't have a Christian bumper sticker on my car is because I know that I do not always conduct myself behind the wheel in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. I really don't want to bring shame to Christ or shame to the church or shame to the gospel by being a jerk in my car. And there are plenty of times when I'm a jerk in my car. Now, I know that those who hate Christ and those who hate the church are always looking for reasons to confirm their hatred. And I know that their hatred says more about them than it says about Christ or his church. I know that. But I just don't want to add fuel to the fire. Our public Witness often has more to do with how we talk and how we treat other people than it does with any statement that we might make about God or the Bible or Jesus Christ. We might actually say the right words, true words. But if those words come out of mouths that are also busy spewing complaints and bitterness and anger and judgment, then we are not conducting ourselves in a manner worthy of of Christ. Instead of advancing the gospel, we are actually impeding the gospel. And I think all of us should have a healthy fear of being guilty of getting in the way of even one lost person from coming to Christ. In these troubled times, may we heed what the scriptures say and conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. The COVID-19 crisis, with its pressures and its setbacks and its discouragements, is testing our mettle. It is revealing our character. May our character, in these pressured times, be Christ-like. May it be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now, I'm no fool, so I know that we can't do that in our own power. Human selfishness and laziness and weakness and fearfulness won't make us proud during this time of crisis. But the assurances of Scripture, which tell us that God is in control, which tell us of God's plan for us and God's commitment to us, will reassure us during this time of uncertainty and will make us far less anxious. And the presence of the Holy Spirit inside of each one of us will allow us to bear supernatural fruit, fruit that will surprise us and will surprise the people around us. And so in the week ahead, may we be pleasantly surprised by how joyful and peaceful and forbearing and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-controlled we are. May God work in us and through us to bless our families and to bless those who are around us. Now, my message this morning has been for Christians, for those who have been born again. And if you have not yet been born again, if you have not yet turned from rebellion and turned to Christ, then I invite you to do that 
today. The decision to follow Christ, however, should not be made lightly. It is a whole life commitment. Don't say that you're a Christian just because you want a little peace of mind or some spiritual perk. To follow Christ means abandoning your present life and taking on a new life. Jesus said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Now that's a hard saying. But Jesus wanted to make it clear that he requires a total commitment. Jesus is not an accessorizing bauble that we add to our lives. Jesus is life itself. No one ever regrets deciding to follow Jesus. But before you do, make sure that you count the cost. The benefits of following Christ are for this life And they are for eternal life. There is no sweeter life than the Christian life. Christians are happier. And they do live longer than non-believers. That's a scientific fact. They're also better looking. But the real benefit is in the life to come. Follow Christ now and you will know his companionship for all eternity. We're going to take a few minutes to join our hearts together uh, in prayer. Would you please pray with me? God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, maker of heaven and earth, eternal lawgiver and judge, merciful Savior and Redeemer, We honor you this morning and we call upon your name. We ask that you would incline your ear toward us and hear our prayers. That you would look upon us with favor. A favor that's been earned for us by Christ himself. Lord God, you alone are worthy of all glory and honor and praise. You alone are the purpose for everything that is. You alone are the one to whom our hearts and minds and wills should turn. And yet, Lord, we confess that we are often moved by desires that are not from You. We often choose our will rather than Your will. We often forget that our hope is in You. Forgive us, we pray, and continue to shape us according to the mind of Christ. Father God, we thank You for Your persistent care during this COVID-19 crisis. We thank you for the families that surround us, for the houses that shelter us, for the income that feeds us, for the health that we enjoy. We ask your help and mercy for those who have less than we have, for those who are lonely, for those who are homeless, For those who are destitute. For those who are sick. Lord, in your mercy, give relief and use us to lend a hand. We pray for those who bear special burdens during this COVID-19 crisis. 
We pray that you would give them an extra measure of strength. That you would shield their health and their sanity. That you would give them perseverance and peace to press on. We pray that this plague would quickly pass. We pray that the economic troubles to come might awaken us but not destroy us. We pray that in all things that you keep us in the center of your care, that you guide our hearts so that we remain in the center of your will. May we find our satisfaction and our completion in you. This we pray in Jesus' name.